Welcome to Geek Catch-Up. I'm Kyle Eckert alongside Chris Heck. We're two lifelong friends with a passion for all things geek, whether it's gaming, movies, television, wrestling, comics, whatever. If it's nerdy, there's a good chance we're into it. You are listening to another wrestling recap, part of our Spotlight series. This is part one of our WrestleMania 36 breakdown. Before we get started here, Chris and I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for listening to this wrestling recap and thank you to everyone that's been listening. There's a lot going on in the world right now and we appreciate you choosing to spend your time with us. Hopefully everyone is staying safe and healthy. And we also hope that in this short time you are hanging out with us, it's a nice break from the high stress we are all experiencing. Usually this is the part where we ask you to spread the word about Geek Ketchup on social media and to stay saucy. Instead, I'll ask that you spread the word on using common sense smart physical distancing, and to quote Ron Stroman, remember to wash those hands. Long revered as the showcase of the immortals, WrestleMania is the annual culmination of all the storylines and performances that the WWE builds throughout each year. Dating back to March 1985, WrestleMania has been an ever-growing spectacle that draws thousands of fans from around the world to see the company's top talent at their best. After more than 30 consecutive years of attendance records like more than 70,000 at WrestleMania 3 in Detroit to 101,763 at Mania 32 in Dallas, which was the largest ever, this year's show is setting its own record with zero fans in the stands. And while COVID-19 has forced Vince McMahon into uncharted waters, he shifted course by splitting the show into a two-night event that promises to be bigger than ever, albeit under extraordinary circumstances. We're going to break down each match from Saturday Night's Part 1 in a few minutes, but first, let's take a look at some fun WrestleMania facts. Hulk Hogan holds the record for the most consecutive main events with five from Mania 5 through 9. Not surprising, but I thought it would have actually been John Cena. That would make more sense. That would make more sense. The Undertaker actually has the most WrestleMania matches with 26. He also holds the record for most consecutive victories at 21. And additionally, he has the most victories overall with 24. Dang. Taker is the GOAT. He is the GOAT. I don't care what anybody says. And speaking of Triple H, he does not have the most Mania main events, but interesting enough, he has lost more times than anyone else with 13 losses at Mania. It kind of makes me respect Triple H a little more. For all the pomp and circumstance and how much like people hate on him for the intros and like it's all about me, he actually spends most of his manias just putting people over. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Big builds and then a loss. Taking it back to the past here, uh, the next fact here was Macho Man Randy Savage once competed in and won four matches in one WrestleMania when he grabbed four victories in the world title at Mania 4 in 1988. That is the most matches any one person has competed in in one Mania. I remember that I was two. It was a tournament, right? Didn't they do a whole title yeah, tournament? Was, yeah, it was a, it was a tournament. I don't actually remember that, obviously, as I was well, two. Well, you were a big fan, getting those pay-per-views back then. Yeah, no, I don't remember that. It was two years old, <laughs> but it was a tournament. I do remember that tournament, like replays of that tournament. <laughs> exactly. Hey, it's what the network's for. It's what the network's for. Right. 
The Rock has won the quickest match in history by pinning Eric Roman in six seconds at Mania 32. Yeah, you know, when he can come back to The Rock, he can beat anybody, so. <laughs> and then taking the loss from The Rock at Mania, I guess, is enough for Eric Rowan. That, that's a spotlight for him. I guess he'll he'll talk about that to his children one day. Oh, yeah. It's borderline highlight of his career, sadly. It's true. That's so true. <laughs> HBK and Bret Hart competed in the longest WrestleMania match in history, an astounding 61 minutes and 52 seconds to make up WrestleMania 12's Iron Man match in 1996. I actually do remember this matchup. I watched it through a fuzzy screen at uh, when I was at the apartment, when we lived in the apartment um, with my mom. I remember WrestleMania being on and like so desperate to watch it, but obviously didn't want to pay for the pay-per-view so i watched it through like a fuzzy screen pretty cool though that was like the heart of our childhood wrestling era right there really getting into that into the attitude era you know the nwo had just shown up over on wcw so 1996 was a prime wrestling moment it really was there have been 148 title matches in the 35 previous manias and 94 of those have resulted in a title change this is the one that actually was one of the most interesting Mania factoids to me, just simply because seeing that number, I mean, obviously there's always tons of title matches and we see a lot of change at Mania every year, but just to put a number on it, 94 out of 148, that's almost a two-thirds chance that a uh, title match you're watching is going to change hands. Yeah, that's pretty wild. And I guess it makes sense at Mania, like big build, like big moment, and so it's a unique time to have a title change. But four separate WrestleManias have had two world title changes occur at them. That's pretty unique. And last year's event saw eight of ten titles change hands. Yeah, that was a big one. And, you know, it always kicks off the next stories, which is really probably the key here, right, is that Mania kind of is a culmination, but it's also a new beginning for the year. It, it really works in both ways. But uh, eight out of ten last year – that's a, that's a lot probably for any Mania if you were to look back through all of them. It would it definitely would be up there. I'd be surprised if it wasn't. And, of course, last year's Mania ended with Becky Lynch holding two titles at the same time. And in the 35 years of Mania, only two superstars have ended WrestleMania holding two titles. And the other one was the Ultimate Warrior at Mania 6 in 1990. I really looked at that as like another another high accolade for Becky Lynch, even though people won't necessarily remember that specifically. But if you look at kind of those things that happen very, very rarely across the entire span of wrestling history, any time that, you know, Vince comes back and allows it to happen again, it's a, it's a little extra special. It's true. And it's should note that we know that Daniel Bryan had that night where he had two belts. But at the time, those two belts were considered one belt. Right. Well, and I think here the fact also was specifically ending the show. Oh, right. Closing out the show versus, you know, because even like going back to when Jericho won the first unified championship and he took the belt from title from Rock and Austin in Mania. I just don't think that that was at the very end of the show. And that was the determining factor here. Gotcha. You know, that last visual as the fireworks are going off at the end of Mania and everybody's screaming, you know, boom, both belts. Becky, two belts. Ultimate Warrior, two belts. Yeah, right. (laughs) <laughs> warrior two belt warrior two belt uh moving on here this is actually the first wrestlemania that will include an nxt championship match that's pretty cool yeah big nod for them 
Yeah, big nod, like making that transition into uh, future pay-per-views, maybe see this more often where NXT belts are challenged on WWE pay-per-views. Yep, that's what I was thinking too, and I'm totally for it. Why not? Just one big brand. (laughs) It's always a spectacle, the live performance at WrestleMania, but the first musical performance at Mania, the first live musical performance at Mania was done by Run DMC in 1989. Respect to the Run DMC. Made me wonder, though, are we going to see a live music act this year? Or do we think that they'll uh, just scrap that, given everything that's going on? I thought they might try. Uh, They've got Blinding Lights by The Weeknd as the official theme, and that's a pretty big song right now, so I wouldn't be surprised if they try to work in something. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. That's good for the artist, too, no matter who you are. There's a lot of exposure there. Got a couple more here to wrap up. So the Money in the Bank ladder match was born as a WrestleMania match at Mania 21. And there, you know, for a couple years, they stayed as a part of the Mania card before it became its own pay-per-view event. But interestingly enough, the Money in the Bank has only ever been cashed in one time at WrestleMania when Seth Rollins did it successfully at Mania 31 to defeat Brock Lesnar and take the world title. That is really surprising that it's been around that long. So it's been around for 15 manias, but it's only ever been cashed in at mania once. Wow. That's a big moment. And that first money in the bank winner was edge back in mania 21. And speaking of edge WrestleMania 36 is where edge, the rated R superstar will compete in his first singles match in 3,290 days. Yeah, I'm totally pumped to see him. It'll actually be on part two Sunday night, but I think this is one of the most exciting matches of the entire card, and I was really glad to see him come back. No doubt. No doubt at all. Like He's been away for so long, obviously over 3,000 days, and he was taken from us in his prime. So to see him come back and perform in a singles matchup against Randy Orton, no less, is going to be something to behold. Agreed. Agreed. I think that's going to be a really hard-hitting match. We'll have to see what they get into. All right, well, that wraps up some WrestleMania factoids. Just thought it'd be fun to share, especially if you're not as familiar with the history of Mania. There's probably a thousand other factoids that we could have pulled out. We could do a whole show just on WrestleMania if we wanted to. But there's no time for that. We're going to jump right into the stacked card. It was a card so stacked that they actually had to break it up into two nights because I don't know if anybody would have been able to make it through one night of you know 16 WrestleMania matches. Um, so I'm personally pretty thankful that we got it in this format because last night's the total event was about three hours almost on the dot. So it was a great consumable little chunk of mania. You could watch it, enjoy it, go about your day. And uh, albeit being very unique given the whole circumstances with no fans in the crowd. And we'll get into some of that later. But they did bring us you know, the standard formula. We got the pre-show from 6 to 7, just like we would for any other event. Right. And then the event kicked off at 7. So on that pre-show, we saw one match, uh, a little bit of a feud that's been brewing between the Artist Collective and Daniel Bryan and Drew Gulak. We saw two matches from that feud in Part 1 of Mania. And on the pre-show, we saw Drew Gulak versus Cesaro. Good match. Two very technical wrestlers, very good technical wrestlers. I'd like to see more of this. Agreed. I felt like it was a it was a good match. It was a clean match. And the fact that both those guys can do almost anything. Sure. Obviously, Cesaro skews a little bit more power. Maybe Drew Gulak a little bit more on the technical side and the mat wrestling. But 
I just have this feeling like those guys could work very well together, you know, repeated programs and have a, a great feud. My only real complaint was the fact that it was quick, but I guess that's to be expected on the pre-show. Yeah, it's a pre-show match. It's got to be quick. Yeah. What I appreciated the most was really how it ended. Probably the most memorable moment for me was Cesaro getting the pinfall to win this match, but he he did his airplane spin like he does a lot of times, but he, he kind of mixed it up on this one by putting Gulak on his shoulders yeah. and then doing a hands-free spin until Gulak just eventually fell off on his own. But it was like, you know, a little twist, but I was, you know, a little something extra for Mania. Why not? Yeah, do something different, do something fun. And it looked good. Um, I was a little worried when he came flying off the shoulders that he wasn't going to be able to plant himself like Gulak on the landing, and he might actually get hurt, but came out clean, looked good. Yeah. I just need more Cesaro, honestly. He's one of those guys that is he keeps sticking around and he keeps having matches, but he's just for some reason they just won't get him over the hump and put gold on him and let him really let him stand shine. out on his own. No, and at this point he's in his forties. It may never happen. It's true. So from there we got into the main card and before we get into the matches, I have to say I don't know exactly how you felt about this, but you know, they always open up a mania with, you know, America the Beautiful and the national anthem and obviously given the circumstances you know it's not really as necessary or as practical to have a specific artist come in just to sing that song right so i really liked what they did i don't know how you felt but i really liked how they handled it by you know essentially putting a montage together of all of the world famous singers from over the years gladys knight ray charles aretha franklin John Legend. I mean, you go on and on. Yeah, Willie Nelson, uh, Michelle Williams. There's a lot of people in there. Right. And and so they kind of pieced it together and took you through all the manias and all these actors. And I don't know if it was just with everything that's been going on or whatever. I don't know how you felt on this one, but, like, I got, I got a little emotional. Like, it, it, it kind of gave me some feels. I'm not going to lie. Like, it was just a good moment. Like, Yeah, I can't say that it hit me in the feels. But I, it was a great moment. It was nice to see a little compilation of all the artists that they've had over the years. And it was it was almost reminding me of, you know, WWE, when they start things off, they're like, then, now, forever. Yes, exactly. It kind of gave me that vibe where it was showing you where we've been with WrestleMania and the build and where we are now. So I did enjoy it. It, it didn't choke me up or make me cry or anything, <laughs> but I did enjoy it. I was sitting across from my wife, and I was like, I cannot cry at the beginning of WrestleMania, you know? But it just, I don't know. It just it just got me. It was you probably just cry at the beginning of WrestleMania. WrestleMania is a big time every year. That's true. That's true. Grown men absolutely can cry at the beginning of WrestleMania. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so kicking off the show, our first match, official match of the WrestleMania weekend was the women's tag title match where we saw kind of the end of a long-running feud between Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross and the Kabuki Warriors, which is Kairi Singh and Asuka. Um, we actually, right before this match started, we got a surprise commentary appearance coming out of the woodworks. JBL, I know he's your favorite. I have the biggest eye roll right now. I hate JBL. <laughs> and he ripped on Byron Saxton when he wasn't even present. Like, oh, yeah, he couldn't help it. How does he continue that? How does he keep that up? They're not even on the same show. JBL never does, but he still feels the need to pick on Byron, even though he's not around. 
He's just a world class bully. I just you know? hate JBL. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's not even all the personal backstage stuff. I just I don't like him on commentary. I don't like the character. Sorry if you love JBL, but I don't like him. Well, for a while on SmackDown, he became very, or like on regular television, he became very overproduced, and you know you could tell how just overly scripted. And I felt like they he kind of dialed some of that back. Yeah. But getting into the match here, you know, it was very apparent right from the get go with this match that they were doing the cameras a little different. We saw that angle coming from the probably what the right side section so it was facing back against the stage whereas normal camera angle is there on the left of the ring facing the crowd so that immediately kind of set the tone of some different production work some different looks you know even the teams being on different sides of the ring essentially than what we're used to it all kind of gave it a different feel but this match got going and I thought that they did really well telling a lot of story Kyrie and Asuka, even though they can be a little annoying at times, have got that Japanese style down, and they, you know, them screaming in in the ring, especially when you can hear it a lot more. Oh yeah, is definitely got its own factor. They've stepped up their game with the screaming. It's actually been one of the things that's made the crowdless show more engaging. Is that they're they're not hesitating to scream and be really vocal, uh, just to give it that extra sound to the match and. I really liked it. It was a good physical match. I liked all the stuff that they did outside of the ring. Uh, there were so, some little rules. I'm, like, real strict on my rules with wrestling. <laughs> so there were, there was a little few screw-ups there by the ref where somebody got tagged and should have been the legal person, but then, like, anarchy happened, so when they found their way back to the ring, it wasn't the right legal person in the ring, which that's just me being nitpicky. Uh, and liking structure and rules to my wrestling matches. The refs got to get better. Well, to your point, I actually remember towards the beginning of the match, there was a moment, it kind of cracked me up because Asuka like, taunted Alexa and then came back and she like gives Kyrie a high five. Right. But then like continues taunting and Kyrie didn't come in. And then literally like 10 seconds later, she actually gives Kyrie another high five, but that was the official tag. Yeah, you know? yeah. It, moments like that, you're like, okay, is that not a tag? Is that a tag? There was a later in the match. There was a blind tag. Like Kyrie did a blind tag on Oscar, and the ref's back was turned, so he never did the like arms in the air clap. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so that wasn't an official tag. She was just patting her on the back, and then ten seconds later, they were like, oh no, Kyrie Zane, the legal wrestler. I was like, oh, so it was a legal tag. Just. I'm nitpicking. That's all it is. I'm nitpicking <laughs> on the refs. Other than that, it was. It was a really good show. Despite some awkward moments, wasn't perfect. But overall, that match was really good. And I'm really happy for all four uh, women wrestlers in that match. Yeah, it was a quality culmination to this feud. Um, I I really felt like it was a match immediately that would have been elevated with crowd interaction. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. You know, unfortunately, I think some of the the lower tier matches on these cards just would have needed that extra oomph, you know, mm -hmm. get everybody caring about it a little more, give them the credit they deserve, but it was a good match. I probably my favorite move of the entire contest was um kind of like a version of the doomsday device that the kabuki warriors did with the elbow. Yeah, so uh Asuka had Nikki Cross up on her shoulders. And then Kyrie dropped the insane elbow off the top rope, and then then Asuka power bombed her. Yeah, and it oh, was yeah. just this great tag combination. I actually thought the match was going to be over there, 
but Nikki Cross really shined, fought back hard while Alexa was down, and ultimately they won the titles by pinfall after Alexa hit the uh, Twisted Bliss. Yeah, her second Twisted Bliss of the match, and the first ever two-time women tag team champions. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Pretty cool. Really hope that they can get some more momentum behind the women's tag belts and kind of formulate some better teams or some additional teams and really give them some oomph because they, they've been kind of in the wayside. And I think Kyrie and Asuka helped elevate them just because of the characters they are. Sure. But we need more out of the women's tag title division. I would agree with that. I think Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross finally having matching ring gear should <laughs> may, may, might give it that push because that's really what it's been is the women's tag belts for so long. It's just felt like two singles competitors coming together to make a tag team to win the belts. And then, like, they don't have matching ring gear. Even Asuka and, Car- and Kairi Zane, like, yeah, they're called the Kabuki Warriors, but their ring gear is never fully matched other than the fact that it's, you know, very inspired by Japanese styles. I want to see, I'm with you, I want to see more actual tag teams do it. The Iconics was a nice little run, uh, even as chicken shit champions that never wanted to fight. <laughs> I was okay with that because they were at least a tag team. Yeah, that's what they need is like real legit tag teams that can build kind of their own legacies as female tag teams. So we'll have to see what happens moving forward. But next up here, we had a grudge match that kind of really escalated over the last few weeks between King Corbin and Elias. This match was put together by the host of WrestleMania, Gronk, which I guess now that I'm remembering he was the host, I should share that. I thought it was odd how little Gronk was even involved in Mania last night, to be honest. Yeah, he hasn't done as much as previous hosts. I think when the New Day did it a couple of years ago, they were out there in between like every third match. You were seeing their face. They were saying something. And Gronk kind of just showed up at the beginning, once in the middle, and then he didn't even show up at the end. No, he wasn't around. So maybe we'll see him a little bit more on part two Sunday night. But uh, that was just one thing that I noticed last night. Uh, and it reminded me here, but this match was put together by Gronk, so we had it anyways. King Corbin and Elias, you know, this was probably another one of those matches that generally, nice nod to be on a Mania card, not really something that the fans are highly invested in, so crowd noise and crowd participation probably would have taken it to another level, but sure, it was still a hard-hitting match. It was a clean match. Elias made a miraculous return after um, the 15-foot fall off the risers from before when Corbin tried to assassinate him, essentially. Right, yeah, basically returned after being murdered. Falling down to the concrete. Probably the the biggest lasting thing I kind of had coming out of this match, just because it wasn't really very memorable and there wasn't a whole lot of super eventful spots in this one, but but this match kind of gave me the feeling like I was watching two like more old school heavies okay like just the styling with a lot of the elbows and the shoulder charges like it was a lot of like big power moves these guys are very capable of doing a lot of suplexes and different things but they they really didn't you know in this one it it just kind of gave me that feel of like i was watching a hulk hogan versus a roddy piper or something like that from 20 years ago what do you think I could see that. I'm not. I don't know if I'm gonna put Elias and Corbin in Hulk Hogan Piper status. Okay. But. Okay. 
I'm not trying to compare him to that. No, I know what you mean. Just the era and the styling of the match. No, that's that's a fair comparison, and it would make sense because it's not high up on the card. It doesn't have a big feud going into it, so they need a match that's two good hands go out there, put on a clean match, an entertaining match, but not. Obviously, it's not going to tear the house down because that's not what they want out of this match. They want this to build the card. Like, if you structure your card the right way, you should be getting better and better and better. And so, you know, your early ma- your early matches on the card are really just supposed to be solid, get the, get the show going. Yep. And then, so to set them up for the, the home run later in the show. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think I'm a little bit salty, though, on this one because Elias ended up stealing the victory from King Corbin via pinfall, even though he was a cheater. You know, he gave him the roll up. He held the tights after a brief distraction from the ref. And it really kind of gets under my skin a little bit with Corbin because I really like Baron Corbin. I've been one of the few people I know that have been a fan of him. I think he's a great heel. He's shown a ton of uh, diversity and um, range. You know, whatever they ask of him to do, he's been doing it. That's a perfect way to Yeah, Whatever they've asked him to do, he has done. Yeah, and he elevated the King of the Ring title back to something that's a little bit meaningful. And I'm just waiting for this guy to get his moment. You know, he just seems to lose to everybody, um, no matter what the matchup is. And I just, I don't know. I really hope Corbin kind of circles back and gets a quality title run at some point here in the remainder of 2020 or maybe early next year. I'm with you on that because I actually thought Corbin needed the win here to feel like a bounce back after being humiliated humiliated by Roman exactly like the dog food all over him while I know that he got one over on Roman before that but I think how Corbin ended up at the end of the Roman feud he was much lower than Roman ever went during that feud I thought maybe Corbin needed a bit of a bounce back here I thought he hadn't won for a while on a pay-per-view so I started to look it up and actually he beat Roman at TLC so his losing streak at pay-per-views wasn't as long as I thought it was, but he has had a long streak of losing feuds. And and if you need a heel to be to, to sustain as a believable heel, they got to beat somebody at some point. Right. And I felt like Elias was a guy who has nothing to lose. Like nobody really cares whether or not Elias is winning matches or not. And you know, he's got his own thing, which is great. He's relevant. He's on on TV every week doing his songs and and wrestling here and there but uh, that one surprised me I really expected Corbin to win I was hoping for Corbin to win didn't quite go down that way more than likely I think it's probably maybe the beginning of a feud versus yeah where a lot of mania matches are the end of a feud so that could end up being something where a couple months down the road by SummerSlam or something Corbin kind of gets his comeback moment but we'll have to see I would agree with that I'd be happy to see that as well From there, we actually jumped into something with a little bit more skin in the game for the Raw women's title, a big builded match from between Becky Lynch and Shayna Baszler. So this one actually made me think of something, Kyle, because as they were coming in to the match, you know, we saw the scene where Becky drives in in her custom semi truck, which is borderline my favorite thing on wwe right now that's outside of the ring like that Hmm. uh, the man semi truck you know like full tilt like optimus prime level quality is just hilarious but it kind of bummed me out at the same time because when she drove in it was the first time of the night 
that I remembered that due to how the format changed for WrestleMania that we are not getting any of the the extravagant entrances. Oh, uh, yeah. A big part of the Mania formula that's different from uh, any other night of the year or any other pay-per-view is that most of the performers will get a wildly more elaborate entrance, you know, live music, pyro, special attire, maybe props of some kind, whether it's vehicles or other characters, you know, whatever it may be. Terminator all, outfits. Yeah, Terminator. Like if you're Triple H, you get custom motorcycles built for you. But whatever it is, that's always been a big part of Mania. Yeah. And we just we just didn't get any of it this year. You know, every entrance was very standard. And totally makes sense, but it kind of that was the moment after she got out of the truck that I was like, oh, it's like none of the special entrances are happening. <laughs> and that may have been something that could have helped because there were certain moments in the show in night one that felt like it was just a regular episode of Raw or SmackDown. Right. That like you almost forgot you were watching Mania. Uh, the matches were still good through and through, but there was there was those Mania aspects that that were missing and the big time entrances were part of that but it also makes sense like are you going to do this gigantic entrance with a crowdless show like right. I, I don't know well even things like i i was almost expecting them um, not to derail too much but it is kind of a big part of mania so i was almost expecting them to utilize more of the production side of the house because even at the live shows what we've seen over the last you know year or two is the use of AR. Yeah. So, you know, you'll have them coming out down the entrance ramp. There's 80,000 screaming fans. And then if you're watching at home, you would see, like, just some sort of digital overlay that ties into that character. For Alexa Bliss, maybe it's the the Harley Quinn-type character sure. version of her. You know, for Becky, maybe you would see, like, a <laughs> an animated semi-truck, you know, coming <laughs> through. Whatever it may be. Yeah. And they didn't even do any of that. Well, New Day got it. Or Kofi got it. Did he? I must have missed that then. Yeah. Kofi was the only one, because that one sticks out, that Kofi was the only person that got something like that. Okay. I must. That must have been when I got up to, like, smoke a cigarette or go to the bathroom or something like that. Yeah. Because I don't recall that one. Just to say, like, I, I was kind of expecting maybe some different types of those, you know, things from the production side, and they really kept it more kind of brass tacks and to the wrestlings. So back to the wrestling here, though. Um, this was a a match that probably had some of the best build, you know, as far as this card goes. For sure. Thinking back a couple months when Shayna Baszler, you know, comes out of the Royal Rumble, huge performance, doesn't quite win, but goes on from there to pretty much jumped Becky Lynch and we saw on Raw a few weeks back where she like bit her neck all vampire style and like really just took the feud to the top right off the bat because they hadn't had a history before. Oh, yeah. New heights for sure. Right. We saw Shayna then go and win the Elimination Chamber in brutal fashion, just dominating everybody to earn this title shot. So they had done a good job with building and Becky has shown that she can feud with pretty much anybody. Oh, and has feuded with pretty much everybody <laughs> oh yeah this match man it came out too and they really started off just as you would expect super aggressive start all that blood just kind of coming to the to the forefront super quick and Shayna, i thought did pretty good all in all let her wrestle a little bit more she did get the early jump on becky and then becky kind of fought back but 
but I thought it was a pretty good showing for Shayna in her first Mania. It was nice to see her range, more of her range, because it definitely wasn't on display in Elimination Chamber. It felt like right. in Elimination Chamber, she was doing like the same sequence to every single wrestler and then knocking them out. So it was nice to see her do a little more long-form wrestling. Those hard shots right at the beginning of the match were awesome. There was loud pops you know, on the side slaps and the face slaps, like making good, solid contact. Let you know how hard hitting this match is going to be. Um, so it was, it was, you know, hard hitting and good from the start. It was nice to see Shayna get some real wrestling in to, to show that she can wrestle. Because for a lot of people, it's probably the first time they've seen her wrestle if they're not right. watching NXT. Because we found that most people don't watch Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. There's a dedicated few, but your casual fan doesn't. So this is the debut of. Shayna's singles ability for a lot of people and it was nice to see that she performed that's true she did a move kind of in the middle of the match that I, I thought was one of the better ones from this match and it showed kind of her combination of skills but she she showed off the power with a double underhook suplex yeah and then she dropped it into a traditional uh, arm bar submission move like straight down to the mat caught her in the arm and I thought that was a cool combo move to get both skill sets across yeah that she's a cage fighter with chain wrestling she can take one move right into the next move it, it sh exactly. shows off her skills and it makes sense for her character as well yeah oh, oh not too much to complain about with the match i thought that it was very well executed i was surprised that it was a little short i felt for a title match of this build like it felt like as soon as it really started to hit its stride, it was over. Yeah. But but it was very well executed, and, and most of the matches of the night felt that way. Very few little, very few botches, very few issues. Not sure if that comes down to just the fact that it was pre-recorded and they may have been able to to take a few extra tries or takes on certain things if they did mess up something versus being in the front of the live audience where you get one shot at it and it goes however it goes. But I don't know if you noticed that, but that was one thing that by this time I was starting to to think about just because every match felt very clean compared to a typical live event. Oh, yeah, and I actually had thought, and we talked about this previously before recording, that I thought that some matches were live and some matches were pre-recorded, and then I couldn't tell the difference between the two, and then you tipped me off that no they were all pre-recorded and I just misunderstood and I thought maybe one or two were gonna go live but it did everything was clean camera work was clean editing for the most part was was looking good and to cover up any potential botches and to make every move look as impactful as possible yeah it was it was a different look there Shayna though ultimately did look like she was going to win this match because she finally, after a few attempts, caught Becky with a Karafuda clutch. But there was kind of a nice... I saw some people giving the nod back to a classic Bret Hart moment from previous Manias with the roll-through and the pin, but Becky was able to to kind of get the quick one past Shayna by rolling her back on her shoulders, grabbing the quick pinfall, retaining the belt, um, as we said before, it was a, a more abrupt finish to this match, but I was ultimately happy that Becky retained. I don't know how you felt, but Shayna, to me, is still too early in her career. She's not interesting enough to beat a Becky Lynch right now, so good for you for getting the nod to be in a title match at Mania, but 
I, I was not going to be too thrilled. Yeah. If she was the one to take it from Becky at this point. So what did you think there? For me, it's not so much like Shayna winning. It's I don't like the fact that Becky won because I felt like she has no one left to feud with. And that's true. They've bu- right now. Yeah, they've built her on this run that she's got. She's literally she's run through every single female competitor on the roster and beaten them. And then they built this little story that Asuka was the last remaining woman on the roster that she needed to beat. And then, of course, she beats Asuka. So then all of a sudden Shayna shows up and we're like, all right, we've got this new big baddie that in the elimination chamber also ran through the entire women's roster. So you're like, okay, so we're going to finally build. There's somebody that's going to take down Becky Lynch and build, build, build. It's so good. They're doing a great job. And then all of a sudden just boom, Shayna's lost and they've shattered her confidence or whatever Michael Cole was telling us. So now I think it's put them in a pickle where Becky has no one else to face. And if she's beating the entire division and then basically they've put her in a situation where there's two people that she's never been able to get over. And in the past two pay-per-views or three pay-per-views, she's gotten over them. Who who's left to face? Yeah. I think it's going to either have to be a continued feud between Shayna and Becky where, cause it's kind of the way this one ended it was almost like Becky just escaped. Like she survived, you know, yeah. she was about to get choked out. She, she got the quick counter and managed to get the pinfall. And you can see in her face, she was like, Oh my God, you know, woo, you know, made it out oh, of that yeah. one. Yeah. And so I was almost wondering if, if they're going to let them keep feuding and actually have a real match at SummerSlam, you know, when hopefully the crowds are back and it can be a bigger moment you know, more of a, oh my gosh, Becky loses or something like that at that point. Or we're going to have to see, like, the only person that's on the roster today, to your point, that comes to mind with Becky is Nia Jax. Yeah. And I don't recall if her and Nia ever feuded with the title belt in the picture just because of when Nia got hurt. Because Nia's been gone for a while Yeah, with her knee injury. I could see a world, essentially, or a scenario where Nia comes back healthy, because I think she's probably due back in the next couple of months or something. It's, she's been gone for like a year. It should be soon. Right. So I was kind of envisioning maybe Becky's at her top. She's all hot. She's feeling like, oh, yeah, I dominated everybody. And then have big, powerful, super intimidating Nia Jax show up, finally coming back, and maybe even take her to a, a, a bigger extreme, you know, she's more powerful. She's more angry. She's more, you know what I mean? Yeah. And just let her be a, a an irresistible force <laughs> to use her tagline, but let her do that. And then she could beat Becky at like a summer slam and, and finally take it over. That's just my thoughts. But otherwise who else is on the roster? That may work. And I'm not sure if there was ever a payoff for the, when she broke Becky's eye socket or nose or whatever that was and took Becky temporarily out of, out of commission. If you remember that from SummerSlam or Survivor yeah, Series. Yeah, that's what I was trying to figure. I, can't, I don't recall if there was the, that match between them. Cause, well, not for the belt, right? Because, that all because built Becky to got Ronda. hurt and, then, and it all built to Ronda after that. Yeah. But they may, there's history there. It's something they could use. It will be. It'll be very interesting to see where they go. I saw this interesting take. That basically said, like, 
if you look at the psychology the psychology of the match, Becky has now beaten two cage fighters with very simple wrestling moves. I could see that. And so she's utilizing basic wrestling techniques on cage fighters because they're new to the wrestling world. That was a take I saw on Twitter. And I thought that was smart, but at the exact same time, like it it all makes sense and I and I like it. But at the same time, I don't want them to book themselves into a corner like it feels like they have where there's no one left for Becky to feud with. True. It gets tough. It gets really interesting. We'll have to see exactly where that goes. The only other thing I could think of would be some sort of new outside talent, but they really haven't springboarded anybody, you know, past NXT straight to the main roster now. Yeah. So it it would have to be a really big surprise, I think, if it was going to be anybody that's not currently on the roster or that the fans don't don't know about. Don't know about. And I can't think of looking at women's wrestling as a whole like an industry i'm not sure that person exists not at the moment like that's not in nxt i'm sure there's a few people that could step up but like what if you brought bianca belair up but she might be in the exact same situation that Shayna was in probably worse because she doesn't have the pedigree that shana has got right Shayna was champ forever in nxt yeah. so you know at least you had some pedigree there but moving on here, uh, next up, we had Daniel Bryan versus Sami Zayn for the IC title. And honestly, I had I had no idea what to think about this match. I really kind of expected Daniel Bryan to win, but they've been doing all this crazy stuff with Sami Zayn and really taking it more from like the entertainment factor, which Sami continues to be pretty entertaining. But you would just look at this on paper and expect Daniel Bryan to take it back. I like the the mind game tactics that Sammy plays, you know, as a heel where he's in the ring and you think he's going to grapple up, but then he rolls out and runs around the ring, avoids, utilizes Cesaro and Shinsuke as his help. Like, I I really enjoyed all of that. And Sammy, as just a premier talker, made the crowdless environment so good with, like, the begging on his knees and the no, not this, don't do that. And Daniel Bryan, obviously a top-notch wrestler, top-notch talker himself. It really was. This match was a standout for me. I don't know if I'm ready to put it as match of the night. There's a few other things that happen later in the card. But it is a standout. Two very good wrestlers putting on a very good show. It, it was very entertaining. I know I laughed out loud when there was a moment where when Sammy was kind of begging and then Daniel Bryan just punches him in the face, and Sammy like <laughs> screamed out like, "Oh God!" You know, like it was just like, "Oh my God!" And and I just made me laugh because he was just selling it so emphatically. But it, really, there wasn't a whole lot to be remembered in this match, to be honest. Like the the parts that you called out where Sammy was running around and hiding behind his help, and he had some of the interactions between Gulak and. Cesaro and and Shinsuke, probably the best part of the match overall. I was really surprised that Sammy survived, to be honest. Yeah. And he caught Daniel Bryan as he was flying through the air with a pretty cool hell of a kick just to mix it up a little bit. And he got the one, two, three. But just going into it, I think probably everybody would have said easily, oh, yeah, Daniel Bryan's going to win the title back. Oh, yeah. And I feel like that's the way people went into Elimination Chamber where it was the 3v1 against Braun Strowman. It was like, there's no way that Sammy or Shinsuke or Cesaro is going to come out of this match with the IC belt. And then he did. And then they repeated that here with Daniel Bryan. And I'm really happy because I think 
Sammy has been grinding for a long time. Oh yeah. And it does I don't care how the title reign happens. I'm just glad that it's happening. Well, if they're smart about it, they can actually kind of pull one over on the fans here with a storyline like this because you could have a legitimate, entertaining Sami Zayn run where he just continues to survive. Yeah. It's just always like he's a worm. He's just getting out of it. You know, he never really should have the have the belt. He shouldn't get the win, but he just always somehow comes out on top. And a lot of times, you know, you can take those and morph them into sympathetic storylines where the fans will turn from, I hate this guy, to, you know, oh, Sami Zayn's the greatest. Yeah, oh yeah. And if, if they do it right. So I think that there could be a long game going with it, even though it feels like, oh, like how could he ever hold the belt, you know? But that probably is the shtick. And I can see that happening. Sami Zayn was a really good babyface in NXT. Mm-hmm. That's when yeah. I really started to like Sami Zayn, so... It could easily happen. Uh, maybe have Cesaro and Shinsuke turn on him at some point to fully put it over and make him go good guy. Uh, if at any time they want to pair him up with KO, I'm okay with that as well. Well, and I think that there's also some potential for the Artist Collective, if Sammy holds on to the belt, to actually turn into an interesting feud, like, you know, with Cesaro especially, right? Because yeah. Shinsuke's already held the belt. But a guy like Cesaro ultimately could end up turning on Sammy and you could actually have some really good matches between him and and Sammy if they wanted to so we'll have to wait and see but it was one that just made the whole match just kind of made me laugh a few times <laughs> yeah. just with how much Sammy was being over dramatic while in there sometimes you need matches like that just break the tension give you a laugh wrestling's meant to be fun exactly and this one filled that spot perfectly yeah, and it was a good fill right before the next match, which to me was, I think, my match of the night. And it was the triple threat ladder match for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. But the interesting thing here, Kyle, was that it was not tag teams that fought. It was a individual triple threat match. So we had Kofi Kingston representing the New Day. We had John Morrison representing Miz and Morrison, and we had Jimmy Uso representing the Usos. And then this was one of those kind of situations where this match continued to evolve as they were working the booking. Ultimately, I think over the last couple of weeks, they had some some locker room issues as far as I think the Miz got sick and wasn't cleared. You know, you also have some of the concerns with, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people being in the same space as each other <laughs> right now you know and with a wrestling ring only being 20 by 20 you definitely can't maintain social distancing i thought it was really odd when they made this announcement that you know tag team title match but it's going to be a singles competition but ultimately it really was just them making the best out of a bad situation and so i didn't really hold it at, you know against them by any means it just had to be what it is yeah it's unfortunate, but you're right. They made the best out of a bad situation, which honestly, you could say that about all of WrestleMania 36. They're really just making the best of a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're right. This this change to the match got announced late in the afternoon after Miz got jumped on SmackDown on Friday night and that Miz was got jumped and was unable to perform. So they announced it Saturday afternoon that instead of having a triple threat tag match. They're going to have one person from each team represent in a triple threat ladder match. 
which is awesome because there's always it feels like there's always at least one ladder match in a mania. It's true. And this one definitely stepped up to the plate as far as being that classic mania ladder match. Oh yeah, it was intense. It had a ton of big spots, ton of hard hits. John Morrison earned some more respect for me because I'm not really been I've never been high on his stock, even though I know he can do a lot of really good stuff for a big guy. But and I wasn't super happy with him coming back, but this match kind of took him a few notches back up for me. Oh yeah. He hit that. I, I don't know which term would be used for this specific move, but it was like a twisting 540 dive. I don't know when Jimmy was on the on the ladder yeah. on the oh, second yeah. rope. So so Morrison's what, like six two? I mean, he's a he's, pretty big he's, dude. Yeah, he's over six foot for sure. Yeah, he's over six foot. He's two something, two forty, two fifty. He's stacked. And he gets up on the top rope while Jimmy Uso is laying on a ladder, which is spread across the second rope. So there's only a couple of feet between where the two of them are. And he still pulls off this diving, you know, 540 twist. Yeah. Kind of looked like a falcon arrow or type move. Look, yeah, like a Olympic diver style move with the, yeah. the twist and the gymnast. He, you know, tightened up real. Yeah. Like a pencil and did it and did a twist. And he still landed on Jimmy Uso. Like, so he managed, as big as he is, to do, like, a flip, a twist, and a dive in, like, a three-foot space. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and lands on Jimmy Uso. And it's just, I don't know, that was, it was really an amazing feat of athleticism for somebody that big in that tight of an area. So, you know, he had a couple other spots, but I thought that that, that was one of the best ones. I'm also thinking about when Kofi did a springboard while Morrison was on the ladder and he hit him on the shoulders and Kofi gives him the hurricane Rana. Right. You know, and Morrison does the front flip off the ladder onto the mat. So there were some good moments there, but you know, honestly, Kofi's hair might've been the star of the show. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh yeah. That it matched Well, his entire, <laughs> uh, his entire ring gear was pretty on point because it was the color by numbers ring gear, but it's being filled in, but it had been filled in. So it, well, they've been slowly, every time they show up, the color by numbers keeps getting more and more filled in over time. Oh, uh, no, that. I haven't picked up on that. Yeah, it started out totally empty, I think, last pay-per-view, um, or maybe it was the one before for Royal Rumble, but it was all white with just the numbers, and now they keep getting more and more filled in as they wrestle, like, you know, month to month, so it's been kind of cool. But his hair, he had his hair dyed, and it was like pink, yellows, and green. It looked like a bowl of rainbow sherbet. Yeah. Or like Fruity Pebbles. Yeah. But it was just so perfectly matched to his pants and everything. I don't know. I was pretty impressed. Nah, Kofi going next level. <laughs> but you were right. The athleticism that was on display in this match was simply incredible. Uh, a few other spots that I had actually down here was Kofi's springboard through the ladder. Oh, yeah. He swung through. He swung through. Now, he didn't. He missed the kick. They caught him and then pulled a move on him. But just... The ability to springboard off the rope and then go through the ladder was super cool. And then John Morrison had the the high wire walk across the rope. That was the other one I had here that was amazing when he tight roped from corner to corner. Yeah, and then into the Spanish fly. Yeah, into the Spanish fly, which almost landed Kofi. I don't know if you've noticed, but the Spanish fly almost landed Kofi onto one of the ladders that were landing in the ring. Like, if they had been... Another, you know, two feet further when they landed, Kofi would have taken a pretty hard bump off like the like the foot of the ladder. Oh yeah. So. Well, there was a few really hard bumps. I think Kofi threw a ladder at Jimmy Uso. Like, and that that's type of stuff you can't fake. 
Like if you're mm -hmm. going to throw a ladder at somebody, it's going to hit them full impact. And then the other one that stuck out with a big impact and a hard bump is Jimmy getting dumped off the ladder. I can't remember if it was John or Kofi that pushed the ladder, but it, Jimmy Uso was on top of a ladder near the turnbuckle. And then the ladder got pushed over and he had to fall out of the ring over like over the turnbuckle and there was no padding. He just fell to the outside of the ring and there was another area. There was ladders on the ground that could have ended badly as well. When you think about how high the ladder is and then being already on a on a wrestling ring, that's what, like four feet at least off the ground. You know, that was probably close to a 20 foot drop. Oh, yeah. With yeah. Like I said, with no cushion. Even I know that announce tables aren't exactly soft, but they usually slow the momentum down a little bit to break falls like that. Yep. He did nothing. He just fell right on the, the padded concrete. Yeah, this match start to finish was impressive. And I, I ended up thinking a little bit that this match probably ended up a little better being a singles triple threat versus a tag match triple threat. Just because sometimes with those tag matches, the downfall is that they have they, they look like they have way more planned spots yeah of course all the spots are planned but my point is is they just the execution when they're trying to get all those people in and like all six guys on three ladders or whatever you know it just comes off a little different than the natural flow of singles competitors in there so as much as it was a shame not to see the other parts of these teams in a mania moment that this match probably got elevated a little bit by that. I would agree. Sometimes it's just six people in the ring. There's too much going on, and there's too much to coordinate. Right. That if you get in your spot early, then you're stuck just kind of waiting around, trying not to make it look like you're looking at somebody, which is, I feel like, what happened with the Elimination Chamber match, tag match, that there was too many people in the ring, and it just became this, like, too many people sitting around waiting for a spot to happen, versus here it was very fluid. Right, exactly. And speaking of brutal bumps, really, this one ended in a pretty brutal bump. So uh, after all the battling, we saw all three competitors run up the ladders. You had Kofi and Jimmy on one side. You had John Morrison on the other. And they all grabbed the belts at the same time, which I don't know. I was trying to think if I'd ever seen that before, where people, more than one person, you know, pulls the belts down at the exact same time. But they're struggling over it, you know, and then ultimately Kofi and Jimmy deliver a double headbutt, double headbutt to John Morrison, which sends him back into a brutal bump. You know, he fell probably eight, ten feet onto another ladder. Yeah. Like, just boom, straight onto the other ladder. But at the end of that, as soon as you kind of picked up the, the pieces – you realize that he pulled the belts down with him. Yeah, he fell with the belts. He fell with the belts and won the match to help uh, Miz and Morrison retain. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure we've seen guys struggling with the belts at the top. There are three guys at the top going for the belt at the same time. We've seen that a million times, but I'm with you. I'm not sure I can remember a specific moment like this where somebody gets attacked and they they pull the belts as they're getting attacked. I mean, I know that there's been dramatic falls and things like that and probably something that's similar but this exact execution where at the end of it all the other two guys are holding the hanger that the belts were on and like and the hangers down and off the hook because i thought that's what made it really unique is that they exactly they got the hanger off the 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 belt clip and so all they really had to do was just yank it away from the other person 
but instead John goes for the belts instead of the hanger and gets the win. It, I, I have this, and this could be said about a lot of moments in WrestleMania, where like obviously a crowd is going to make it better, the moment's going to be bigger, but this was a awesome moment to an end of a match, and especially the end of a WrestleMania match. But unfortunately, I think the lack of a crowd is what's going to keep this moment from being a legendary Mania moment. I can see that. You know, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot about this Mania that's going to be easily forgettable. Sure. Because of some of those things. So I, I definitely would agree with you there. But ultimately, I still think probably all in all, match of the night right there and a pretty good ladder match. Maybe not one of the greatest of all time, but definitely a solid triple threat ladder match i i didn't think you were going to call it your match of the night due to some other matches that happened later on the card but this was also my match of the night so i didn't think we'd agree on that one this go round. well but here we have agreed again on match of to the not night. get too far ahead just to address that i thought about it but i kind of drew the line in like what was an actual match versus what was Kind of its own unique thing. Okay. And we'll get to it in a little bit. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> I know they're all technically matches, but I kind of drew the line in ring versus out of ring there. Fair enough. Speaking of matches, we had a couple more here to wrap up part one. So next up, we saw a big culmination match for the feud between the Monday Night Messiah, Seth Rollins, and Kevin Owens. This one actually kind of cracked me up because we talked about, you know, pretty much run-of-the-mill entrances each time, but Seth Rollins had kind of this little difference to his where he came out with some new ring attire. He had all white pants on, and honestly, I ended up tweeting about it because it looked like he just stole Andrade's original ring gear. You know, like when he would come out with those like big with the robe. loose sh- robe shirts and everything, oh, and yeah. like all white. I was like, literally, I was like, did, did Seth Rollins just steal Andrade's look while he's hurt? <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> I expected him to do, like, sooner or later with this whole Monday Night Messiah gimmick, I expected him to bring back the Wrestling Jesus look (laughs) that he had from a couple years ago that was made into a Funko Pop and was uber popular. I expected that look to come back at some point. I didn't think he was going to get the full robe. And the bun didn't help either, the way he had his, his hair up and the top knot, because Andrade does that. That's what I'm saying. He looked just like Andrade. Yeah. It was super, super weird. I just that was the only thing I could think of was like, what has happened to to Seth Rollins? But this match, all in all, was was a great grudge match. I mean, these guys beat the hell out of each other from the get go, all over the ring, on the outside of the ring. Seth, I thought, did a really good job here, kind of like Sami Zayn, where he was very vocal. Yeah. Throughout the match. Oh yeah. And so it really added a lot of story development and and added to the character you know he was like making fun of certain things of kevin owens and then like kind of telling him how he could be better about it you know oh, like yeah that messiah type thing you know <laughs> but it seemed like it was going to end in a really quick format because seth rollins got dq'd after hitting ko with the ring bell and the ref was not having that but ultimately it wasn't the end of the match No, I took down an interesting note when that happened because I thought it was going to be the end of the match. And I was like, damn, this match deserved better than just a DQ finish like that. And I actually started to type out how frustrated I was that that's the way the match ended. And then sure enough, Kevin Owens saved me, wouldn't let Seth Rollins walk out of the arena, grabbed a mic, called him back, said, no, 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 I'm not going to let you end it this way. 
get back in this ring and let's start a no DQ. Fall, uh, wasn't a false count anywhere, but a no DQ match. Anything goes to and resolve this once and for all. Yeah, it was pretty sweet, and it really just took a an escalated situation that much further up the notch because they were already beating the heck out of each other. They were already you know pushing the limits on what you could do with uh, weapons and things like that. Obviously, like, causing Seth to essentially lose the first time, but when they came back and rang the bell again, it just kicked it up. I mean. Rollins just proceeded to kick Kevin Owens' ass with the ring steps. He beats him multiple times with the chairs. You know, it really looked like Kevin Owens was about to take, you know, one of the the worst poundings that he's had since being in the WWE. But he kind of turned the tide. He did. He did. He finally, there was a few really violent chair shots right when they restarted the match with him by, I think he was laying on the ground by the commentary booth and Seth hit him with the chair. They were pretty violent and the way he sells. The, the you said it earlier the chatter back and forth uh was really good at the beginning of the match and then they kept it up throughout the entire match the selling and the, the agonizing pain but yeah KO got it back he hit him a few times with the ring bell to kind of get one over on Seth and then the ultimate spot climbed to the top of the WrestleMania sign oh yeah and put Rollins you know had Rollins laid out on the commentary booth climbed to the top of the WrestleMania sign jumped off and gave him a huge elbow drop through the table. Yeah, he channeled his inner uh, Shane O'Mac there. He did, he did. And I actually saw a pretty cool tweet from Ke- or Kevin Owens this morning that is a picture of Tampa Bay Stadium that Mania was supposed to be in, and the big pirate ship. And he had said, like, when he first went to that stadium, he saw the pirate ship, and started visualizing how he could jump off of it. Ah. And then ultimately, think plans got changed, and they had to do the performance center thing, but he still wanted to have a moment like that. That's awesome. So he altered and made the jump off the WrestleMania sign, so that was pretty cool. He definitely made a ma- a lot of talk about mania moments. I think Kevin Owens definitely made a mania moment. Well, it's true, but I'm not sure if the moment was him jumping off the sign or if it was just the 30 seconds where all we could hear was Seth Rollins wheezing and moaning in pain, trying to catch his breath. It it may have been exaggerated for, for the cell, but it sounded pretty authentic. And that was like one of those moments where if anybody out there wants to talk about wrestling being fake, you think about taking a 250 pound man in Kevin Owens falling from 20 feet up and you just grab all of that right in the stomach as you're laying there like I mean Rollins looked and sounded like he literally could not breathe and and I just thought that that was one of the the silver linings of having no crowd in the stands is like just getting that little extra almost level of reality for what these guys are going through when those types of moments happen oh yeah because you usually don't get to hear any of it you may not even see it depending on how the camera's working and things like that because a lot of times they pan to the crowd after those moments to show you everybody's like jaw drop and oh my god yeah, the face, reactions, you know for sure the reactions so i don't know if you caught that but him just <gasps> like just wheezing you know oh yeah was, well it's very wild. possible he at minimum knocked the wind out of him yeah it's like why wouldn't that happen yeah yeah i don't care who you are like that much force on your gut Oh, yeah. There's just certain things, like we said, with the ladder, when you throw a ladder at somebody, there's just certain things you can't fake. Right. 
So that one went from, you know, it was kind of a tide-turning move, obviously. So after getting his ass kicked the whole time, KO comes back. He hits Seth with that huge dive, drags him back into the ring, hits him with the Stone Cold Stunner, and actually wins the match by pinfall. So he won twice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, DQ and legitimately. But I could see this rivalry continuing. Like, they're just so good, and they clearly work well together. So you, you got to hope that they enjoy working together. But I could see this carrying through the summer that Seth Rollins comes up with some excuse on why he lost, you know, this and that, and then them really doing doubling down on the Monday Night Messiah and the Disciples with AOP and Buddy Murphy and doing some doing something fun between KO and Seth. Yeah, definitely a match of the night contender. Definitely a moment of the night contender. I, I thought all in all it was it was solid start to finish. So we will have to see exactly where they take them moving forward. Next up, though, we actually saw the quickest match of the night when we finally go back to see what Gronk is up to. And he's hanging out with Mojo Raleigh. R-Truth shows up. And then when I thought Gronk was about to win a title... It was actually Mojo who screws Gronk over, maybe setting up a new rivalry for them with Gronk now being here. But uh, but Mojo Raleigh actually screwed Gronk over and won the 24-48-7-11 I-81 North Euro TV YouTube Twitter Gram Championship. Heck yeah, he did. Although it was a little awkward because they were in this tiny space. Oh yeah, so it was a little booth. Think about it logically. Gronk like punched R-Truth in the back of the head, knocked him on the ground, went for the pin, Mojo Raleigh said, nope, I don't think so, and just pulled him up, but didn't actually attack Gronk. Yeah. So he just kind of moved him out of the way and then went for the pin himself. <laughs> and it was like, and then, you know, Ref Jess was right there for the count. But Gronk should have just been standing there just kind of like, what? What? And Don't you think he should have attacked yeah. him? But none of that is important because the 24-7, you know, 48-7, 7-11, I-95 South, North European Television YouTube Championship is just all about having fun. So I'm game for this. It is. I had to throw that in there. R-Truth brings a smile to my face anytime he is on TV. And it gave us a good segment between the decimation that was the KO Rollins match into uh, the next match, which was for the Universal title. And this was another one where, due to COVID-19 and just everything that's going on and the dangers that are present, they had to change the card. So originally this was supposed to be Goldberg versus Roman Reigns, but given Roman's history as a cancer survivor, they wanted to take the extra precaution of keeping him away from any potential pandemic infection. So they gave Braun Strowman the slot. They let him go up against Goldberg which I was super happy about, even though I was nervous that for some reason Braun was going to lose. But I was happy to see him get the spot because the dude deserves gold like none other. He's been great for the last couple of years and just ready for a title run, right? Like oh, Braun yeah. deserves a legit title run. And so we saw a total of eight moves in this match. Eight moves. I knew it was limited. I didn't have an exact number. Yeah, it was a perfect Bill Goldberg match. You know, you got four spears and a near fall for Goldberg, and then you got four power slams and the pinfall by Braun Strowman. So finally, Braun Strowman has won a top-tier title. He is the new Universal Champion. Let's see if yeah, he can hold it see what they <laughs> until do with SummerSlam. It. But you're right. 
the guy deserves it. We said it earlier with Corbin. Everything they have given Braun Strowman, he has made work in some way. He's just been a trooper about it, keeping his head down. Keep, you know, the grind is on. Really happy that they finally put a, a big-time belt on him. I know that he got the IC belt and then dropped it to Sami Zayn. That, that felt kind of awkward, but, you know, everything happens for a reason. Yep. So, because I you have to imagine that if he still had the IC belt on him, they may not have picked him for this slot. So, really happy that he was available and ready and that hopefully WWE is about to push all their chips in on Braun Strowman and let him run wild. Yeah, I'm, I'm expecting at minimum a run through SummerSlam, right? Because with Roman backing out and how much Vince loves Roman, the, the smart money is on the fact that Roman is going to challenge Braun Strowman for the Universal title at SummerSlam, right? The next major pay-per-view. So I, I hope that he at least gets the next three months, a couple defenses at the pay-per-views in between uh, Mania and SummerSlam, and then you know whatever happens at that point happens. But Strowman is a guy that you can build up as easy as Brock Lesnar, and he could really have a dominant year-long run, and I wouldn't bat an eye. Oh, yeah. I'd be all well, about JBL it. Well, JBL said it, um, as much as I dislike JBL, but he did have a nice little one-liner that, Braun Strowman could legitimately hold that belt until he chooses to retire or relinqu or relinquish the belt, which if you do it right, it could be true. He could be a true dominant force. Yep. Like he's a big ass dude. Like that was one thing that stuck out to me was right at the beginning of the match when they went toe to toe and looked at each other. It was like, oh, my God. OK, Goldberg is a big dude. Braun makes Braun makes big guys look tiny and it's just wild. So, yeah. Hopefully, like I said, hopefully they give him a decent run, um, but we'll see what happens. You never know. They could flip the script and put it back on The Fiend. We'll see what happens with The Fiend-John Cena match on Sunday night, but hopefully, hopefully they just trust that guy. It's all we want. I feel like this every time we talk about Braun Strowman, I'm just like, I just want you to trust him and just let him try. Exactly. He's got a ton of range. He's been entertaining. He's been intense. Yeah. He's, you know... He's got the power. He's got a lot of athleticism for how big he is. You know, he really could be that kind of guy that transcends between the different areas of wrestling if they just would let him. I think sometimes the downfall with guys that are that good, like a Corbin, like a Strowman, in those roles that yeah. can put any gimmick over is the fact that they don't have to have title belts in order to be relevant sure. and be loved by the fans. But the flip side you know, being a good fan of those guys, you want to see them get some title runs, like give them the accolades. And it finally happened here. So I, I was glad that I did not have to uh, go full nuclear and burn the WWE <laughs> down over this one. Cause I was telling you before that if Braun Strowman would have lost this match, you know, once they announced it, that I was going to bury them on this, on this <laughs> show, this episode, cause that would have been the most ridiculous thing ever. So I'm glad they saved me from that. Kept my blood pressure down. Yeah. You know? <laughs> they teased you. They teased you right after those first three spears. I was like, I had my hand. <laughs> I had my head in my hand, and I was literally going, no, 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 no. This isn't going to happen. And then he, he flipped it. He got the, the one big power slam in where he went for the, uh, I think he went for the jackhammer, and he flipped it into a power yep. slam. So I was like, oh, thank goodness. But, but they teased it. They teased it. They did. Uh, it saved it. Saved a lot of grief. 
All right, well then, let's move here to the very last match of the night. This is really, I think, one of the matches that everybody was most interested in, just given the build for it. Um, we saw AJ Styles kind of say some things about The Undertaker and to The Undertaker over the last few weeks that maybe nobody ever has. You know, we saw promos cut, um, getting very personal on The Undertaker, talking about his wife, Michelle McCool. We saw AJ go so far as to continuously refer to The Undertaker by his God-given name, Mark Calloway, which I can't, as a lifelong number one Undertaker fan, I cannot recall anybody ever mentioning his name in that way. So they kind of got some fresh takes on, you know, something that happens every year, which is one of the top guys getting their moment with the Undertaker. So the, the there's a lot of good building to this feud, a lot of bad blood, and we found out that it was going to be what they called a boneyard match and it was going to take place, you know, I think as of last week they kept saying, you know, on location or they had the kind of a broad term, you know, we knew it wasn't going to be yeah. in the ring. And then ultimately they gave us really a great experience it was a highly produced more kind of horror action film type segment versus a traditional match but it had everything that uh, that i wanted as far as a undertaker fan goes you know we saw them show up on location in a dark cemetery we see this vintage hearse pull up and you know i'm sitting there thinking that's got to be the undertaker right you know right classic hearse but the druids get out they pull a casket out and surprise, AJ Styles got one yeah, of the coolest of, of entrances of all of, yeah, of all of I did like the way when they, the casket opened and he had his arms crossed over his chest and he just kind of like smiled. And it was like, all right, all right, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, they did a good job. We, we saw Taker come out with a great American badass callback, showing up on the custom bike. And new music. And had some new music. I, I was kind of waiting for that, that Limp biscuit keep rolling, <laughs> you know, to crack in, but... They went with one of uh, Metallica's songs from their newer newer album, so that was pretty cool. And it was a very fitting song. Yeah, it's called Now That We're Dead. So that was pretty sweet. You know, as I mentioned before, this was a highly produced, you know, quote-unquote match, but I thought it was really fun given the circumstances. I thought it was also a great way to mix things up from the rest of the show. Just given that there was no fans, they don't have to be so beholden sure. to the arena, yeah. you know, confines. And and it ultimately, I think, came out in a way that this is what everybody's going to remember from at least part one of Mania 36. I would agree with that. And it's because, and for really, it was a redeeming moment for The Undertaker. He's had some bad matches lately, and this this produced style really suits him. It suits the character. It suits, he's older. And so the the live action stuff can be difficult, so but it suits everything. And it suited the, the story and everything that they had done. Right. It suits him for where he is in his career, you know, because he's always been capable. And especially as a big man, he's always pushed the boundaries, high flying, done a ton in the ring. He never mailed it in as far as, you know, oh, I've got four moves and this is what I do as a big man. You know, he's always done very athletic things. But as he's gotten older... You know, even 10 minutes in a wrestling ring at full tilt is is very, very hard on your cardio, on your body, you know, the whole nine yards. So that's what I had here, too, just to agree with you, was that this it really allowed him to almost even do more 
than what we've seen from him in a while just because the slower pace, the production style pre-recorded and everything like that. It was it was a storytelling masterpiece. Yeah, for sure. And they said that it took eight hours to shoot. They did it on location in Florida. Uh, and a complete outside production crew built the barn that was used for the set. Uh, and it took five days to complete. And then the match itself took eight hours to film. So it gave, you know, he's a little older. And 10 minutes in a ring going full tilt, like you said, can be exhausting. So maybe this style of match is better suited for him. Uh, just to kind of counter a little bit, I didn't personally love the match. And it's not that I didn't like the match or The Undertaker or AJ Styles. I think it's just the realization that I don't like these overproduced matches. Really? I wasn't, I wasn't big on the Hardy Complex matches, which is really strange. I love Matt Hardy. I like the whole Broken Universe thing. But I, I think I'm just starting to realize that these styled matches just aren't for me. Gotcha. There's, they're not bad. There was a lot of really good qualities in, in this match. I thought they were cool. But at the same time, there were parts of it that it made me feel like I was just watching a, a bad B movie. <laughs> and I couldn't get over it. And so it's tough because I know the guys put in a lot of work and hats off to the production crew and the film crew and the two performers. I heard that all the dialogue was 100% improvised. Oh, wow. So that's really awesome. Yeah, that, that's pretty sweet. That part wasn't scripted. So like really is hats off to the performers. But I think just my personal taste it's not for me. That's totally fair. I mean, it is a very different product than what in-ring yeah. wrestling is. I feel like stuff like this, though, definitely has its place in wrestling because vignettes and on-set location stuff, you know, they've done it in different ways and in, at different companies throughout the years. It was the first time we've seen it in a while for WWE, but I, guess, I just figured... I. I just felt that, and maybe I'm biased because I'm just such a freaking huge Undertaker <laughs> fan. I mean, I've got a damn Undertaker tattoo on my arm. But at the same time, I just thought it worked. I thought it was a great way to end the show um, in a way that was memorable, fresh, painted the Undertaker in the light that everybody likes to remember him as. You know, there was a lot of kind of Ministry of Darkness type callbacks here. You know, he looked more American badass. So it was kind of this culmination yeah, nice. too, in a way of, of – the whole Taker's career, uh, a boneyard or buried alive match is very in his wheelhouse as well. It had a ton of really good moments, I think. If nothing else, there was just all these little individual moments throughout the way. I mean, they started this match aggressive and intense oh, from yeah. the get-go. I mean, Taker came out and just started beating AJ's ass. They destroyed that her super quick. He cuts himself up when he busts the window out. Yeah, I heard that was not planned. That was yeah, something that just planned. naturally happened, <laughs> that he smashed the hearse window and he busted his arm open, unplanned, but the crew thought it looked really good, so they kept it in there. Well, and it was fitting for what was going on. I mean, you think about fighting in a cemetery, especially an old one with a lot of shredded metal and oh, rust yeah. and glass and stone. Everyone was... got their tetanus shots. <laughs> I, I I will say that after, you know, they kind of set up the stage and got things going, I think it was midway through, we hadn't seen Gallows and Anderson yet. And so even through all this darkness and creepiness and violence, I thought it was kind of funny because I think it actually made me laugh out loud because then when they show up, Gallows and Anderson, they, it was like, it had like this like corny Western music to it. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, oh, the music was on full effect last night. 
They uh, that was one thing that stuck out to me though throughout the entire match is the music that they used. Yeah, that that really kind of worked and just kind of took it to another place, and and so you know we saw them show up and they had this like team of like druid yeah. ninjas, you know, essentially <laughs> that attack Taker, and and really all along I was kind of expecting Taker to have some backup. You know, he mentioned in his SmackDown promo that that he was going to bring an unholy trinity and so i was kind of expecting a cane mankind you know especially when he did the flames he raised they were on top of the roof Mm -hmm. of that barn and he threw his arms up and the flames bursted behind aj i fully expected kane to be there yeah and just show up (laughs) yeah show up and do something like either like punch him or throw him back into the undertaker i could see why they didn't because then at that point where's kane gonna go well, and ultimately, I think how we saw this end, it really did turn out to be just all about The Undertaker here and kind of a, a a resurrection of him and his character. You know, we saw him hit kind of dire straits as AJ was able to kind of take him over. He hits him over the head with a spaded shovel and looks like he committed homicide because The Taker just, you know, collapsed into the six-foot grave. But right as... AJ goes to turn on the skid loader and bury him and win the match. Taker, you know, rises out of hell and pretty much just miraculously showed up behind him, which was pretty funny. You know, that was probably the most B-movie moment of the whole thing was him just miraculously popping up out of the grave. He teleported from the grave to behind AJ Styles. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. From there, it kind of turned the toll tides on AJ. You know, if it ever looked like AJ was going to win, that that moment definitely changed everything. We saw what you showed, you know, where he blocks his escape with the infernos of hell over the barn. He then proceeded to choke slam him off of that barn. You know, huge bump. Yeah, that was a big time bump. Big time bump. Yeah, and at that point, it looked like AJ was pretty much on his last legs. He started begging him, you know, "Don't bury me, Taker. Don't. I'm sorry, you know." And I thought that, that was that was pretty cool. Like he was coming. To to terms with the fact that he picked the wrong fight. Well, that part confused me a little bit, I'll say, like, storyline-wise, because Undertaker then proceeded to be like, you fought your ass off, kid. You fought your ass off. I'm not going to punish you for fighting your ass off. You did well. And then he kind of still punished him? (laughs) Yeah, he still had to put him down. He still had to put him down, but it was just really... Some parts were just confused me a little bit, storyline-wise. Like, it was. It was a great match. For what it was, the overproduced stuff, it worked for everything there. Not discrediting that, but my personal tastes, I these type of matches aren't for me. But honestly, wrestling is basically a variety of show. You know, you're gonna have different types of storylines and different types of matches to fit, you know to fit different slots, and not everything is gonna be for everybody. So I'm not totally hating on it. It was really good for what it was, but. There were moments in this match and the match as a whole that I can just kind of say, this wasn't for me. Oh, it's part of the circus aspect. I took more of when, like what you're talking about towards the end where he was like, you know, you fought well. I took that more as him like, okay, I'm not going to keep punishing you. Like I've already beat your ass enough because he was, that was kind of when he was dragging him over to the pit and finish it off. Like he put him in the pit. He's like, I'm going to let you rest in peace. You know, finish this off. But then he walked away. That's kind of how I took it. He walked away and then doubled back and was like, "No, I'm gonna." Yeah. Yeah. So like to to get to the ending here, it goes both ways. He throws AJ (laughs) in the grave, goes to walk away, and then doubles back. 
and then and then puts the skid loader worth of dirt down on him to bury him alive and finish it off. That is true. I don't know. I was just like full tilt taker <laughs> fan moment. Like, oh my god, this is amazing. Um, Dead Man Inc is alive and well, and uh, I was pretty pumped about it. So it was a good way to finish the the night one. Like I said, I think that if I think that's gonna end up being the WrestleMania moment from probably the whole weekend but definitely night one so yeah and it like i said i'm it is i'm glad that it kind of returned the undertaker to form night one of wrestlemania was certainly a unique experience love it or hate it let us know on social media what you thought then catch us in part two of our wrestlemania breakdown as we take a look at sunday night's matchups thank you for listening to geek ketchup if you enjoyed today's chapter, please remember to subscribe to Geek Catch Up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Check out Geek Catch Up on Facebook and YouTube, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Catch Up Pod for updates on new episodes every two weeks. You can find links to all these accounts in the show notes below or at our website, www.geekcatchuppodcast.com. Stay saucy, you nerds.